Good morning. It's good to be with you guys again today, and uh, it's been a while. Uh, it was back at the beginning of the school year, I believe, and a lot has changed at the Baptist Collegiate Ministry since then. And uh, we, we uh, found out that they're, uh, I got to be out of the building July the 1st, and uh, they're going to be tearing down the building and building us a new one. And uh, so that's exciting, because uh, what they're planning to do is just unbelievable. Uh, we've got an investor uh, that's come to work alongside the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and uh, we're doing a land lease agreement with them. Where they're going to come in, Georgia Baptist will still own the property, uh, but they're going to tear down the building. They're going to build uh, kind of a multi-use setup, uh, parking deck, uh, about 25,000 square feet, 20 to 25,000 square feet worth of BCM space on the main floor, uh, which is plenty <laughs> for what we need to do. And then they're going to have about three to four stories of uh, uh, student housing right above us. And so I'm pumped, I'm excited because, uh, you know, we're literally going to be sitting on the main floor of a whole bunch of student housing. And so they're going to have to walk through us to get in and out of the building. And so uh, they, they're not going to be able to, to, to ignore me. So anyways, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about that. But I'll tell you, with it comes some crazy challenges because it's what do we do for the next two years, you know. And so my life over the last uh, month in particular and for the next month uh, has been... Uh, transitional uh, to say the least uh, figuring out what to do with everything that's in the building uh, figuring out uh, where we were going to meet we're going to meet at Tate Grand Hall which is up on the top floor of the Tate Student Center uh, but then that means you got to figure out how to take uh, all of your hardwire sound equipment uh, and how in the world that becomes mobile and what we have to buy and not buy and all that fun stuff so it's been awesome it was fun though the other day I, uh, I had a guy come by the other day and we were looking, we've got just tons of old speakers uh, up in the chapel. I mean, lots of old speakers up in the chapel. And um, the thing is, is that we've got these, if you know anything about sound, this will make sense. If you don't, just ignore what I'm saying, I guess. But basically, we've got these uh, self-powered amps, uh, that or not amps, I'm sorry, subs that we just purchased in the last couple years that are in really good shape. We've got a new digital board that's in good shape. We've got a snake that's in good shape. You sound guys understand what I'm saying, right? And, uh, but we've got all of these speakers for like tops. Uh, so, you know, like where are they? Oh, yeah, like those. Yeah. Um, and none of them are self-powered. And so we didn't have any way to test them without, you know, plugging them into something else. And so I had a buddy of mine uh, that does m like mobile sound for outside events and all that stuff. And he came over, brought his amp with him. And it was really fun because we got to plug in like every speaker up in that chapel and turn it pretty much as loud as it could go to make sure that they, they, they weren't busted. And I got to be honest with you, like there were times where I was afraid that the wooden, if you've ever been in that chapel, you know, it's wood, right? I was afraid it was going to fall on us. Um, I think they heard us down at the football stadium, to be honest with you. So we figured out what can, we can use and what we can't use. And so it's been fun. That's how my life's been for the last month and how it will continue to be. For the next month but we found these amazing like books that I didn't know existed where apparently back in the day the BCM used to do basically like yearbooks and scrapbooks and uh, I'm talking about like we had some from like the 50s and 60s I mean all the way up until you know 10-15 years ago it was pretty awesome looking through those our students had a great time some of the pastors in the area around Athens we found their pictures when they were much younger had a lot more hair stuff like that so that was awesome so uh, so that's that's what we've been doing and you guys have had a lot going on too. Uh, you got a new pastor rolling in here in about a month, right? 
And uh, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for him, excited to meet him and, and uh, just get to talk about uh, just the potential. I, I really do. I told you guys this when I was here uh, back in the fall. I believe there is just a, a ton of potential here in this church, uh, your location, just the opportunities in front of you. And, and I know that, that the community has changed over the years, uh, but I also know that um, Athens is unique in the sense that there are a lot of young families that are moving in uh, to this area, and so I'm, I'm excited about that for you guys. So uh, today uh, we are going to look at Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 13, and uh, it's like, what do you preach the week before Easter? Do we just do the, the cross thing? I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? And uh, how do we set this up for next week? Um, I'll tell you, this week obviously uh, is about... Uh, Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, and we know that. And so, so I do want to, to, to speak on some things in relation to that. But the reality is, is that this week is ultimately about the gospel. Uh, this week is ultimately about salvation and what salvation is to us. And the gospel story of, of the fact that Jesus came to this earth and that he lived uh, a sinless, perfect life. And that he died for you and me and that he rose three days later. And I, I really believe that as we look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 13, uh, we find here uh, a, a, an example of what the gospel is not, but yet also what the gospel is. And you've got to understand as you look at Romans chapter 10 that this comes on the, the tail of, of Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9, and, and boy, that could be fun to discuss, couldn't it? And, uh, and, and as we, we, we jump from chapter 8 and 9 to chapter 10, you find, particularly in chapter 9, in the beginning of chapter 10, uh, a reminder of, of Paul's heart uh, for the nation of Israel and his desire for the nation of Israel to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and the reality, though, is, is that we know, based upon Paul's writings, not just here in chapter 10, but even in the preceding chapters, that uh, not all of Israel believed, right? Uh, there were some who did not, and then obviously with Jesus' death, we know that, that in general the nation of Israel the majority of them did not believe. And so here's Paul talking about the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 10. But in the midst of this, he explains uh, why it is that they're not seen as righteous. And what that does is it gives us some insight into what it is that we must do to also be seen as righteous. And ultimately what salvation is and what salvation is not. Now as we look at this passage this morning, I want to remind you that as Paul starts here in chapter 10... He reminds us again of his desire and his passion to see the Jews saved. Now, the truth is, is that all of us, as we enter into this Easter season, this, this, this Easter week, this Holy Week, uh, there's no question that we are celebrating what Christ has done for us. Uh, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, it's a time to celebrate what Christ has done for you. But yet, there also ought to be that same desire and that same passion that, that Paul had for those who were lost. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three things that salvation is not, but yet then four things that salvation is. I took my phone out of my pocket so that since we got seven points this morning, we'll get out of here in a timely fashion if we can do that. So let's begin reading in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a, a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray this morning. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that as we look at this passage today, that you'll help us to recognize what salvation is not and what salvation is. And Lord, that that will not only, uh, Lord, prick our hearts if uh, we've got this wrong in some way, but Lord, that ultimately this will drive us, Lord, uh, to, to be evangelistic and missional in everything that we do. And that this will drive us to look at our lives and ask the question of how can we leverage the gospel and show the same passion for the loss that Paul had in writing this. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask you to speak to us today through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Now i got to be honest with you, I've spoken a lot in my life out of Romans chapter 10. Uh, anytime I end up doing something missions related, uh, usually I jump to Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, you see the universality of the gospel and you see the unity in the gospel. Uh, when, I, when we partnered at Beach Haven, when I was serving as the missions pastor there with Indian Town, Florida, the first sermon I ever preached in Indian Towns, Florida was out of Romans chapter 10. Uh, when we began to plant a church in Takana, Guatemala, the first ter- uh, sermon that I preached in Takana, Guatemala was out of Romans chapter 10. Uh, But what I want us to do today is not look at necessarily just that portion there in like verse 10 through verse 13. But I want us to look at the the, the passage in 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 its entirety because what we do see here is what the gospel story really is and what salvation really is. And I got to be honest with you, uh, and I believe I said this last time that I was here, the world has, has really sort of messed up this understanding of what the gospel is. And the church has really sort of messed up this understanding of what the gospel is because we've defined the gospel under this huge massive umbrella of things that we can do as Christians and and so you know uh, if it's if it's something in the social realm we we call it well it's the gospel playing out in the social realm and there's no question that the gospel uh, does impact politics the gospel does impact social justice the gospel does impact all of those things but we've allowed the culture and we've allowed the world to hijack this term the gospel and we've allowed to be honest with you some of these guys in Christendom who've made lots and lots of money off of these books that they've sold to also do the same thing. And what I want us to understand today is this, is that the church must get back to what the gospel really is. The church must get back to what the gospel really is, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He rose three days later, and if we put our faith and trust in him, then we can have eternal life through him. We can have salvation through him. And if you read all of Paul's writings here in Romans, you understand that it is here in Romans where we can really see what the gospel truly is. And I believe that in chapter 10, what we will find today is not just what it is, but also what it is not. And so we must start with what it is not, particularly in the world that we live in today, particularly even in the times that Paul was writing, if we're going to understand what it is. In verse 2, we find that the gospel is not passion. 
The gospel is not passion. Notice in verse 2 it says this. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So in verse 1 he's saying, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is for them, for the nation of Israel and their salvation. But then he says in verse 2, I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So here he's praying for their salvation, and then he acknowledges the fact that they are passionate about God. They have a zeal for God, for Yahweh. But salvation is more than just a passion to get closer to God. We know that salvation is more than just our attempt to get closer to Him. We know that that can be religion, that can be spirituality, that can in some ways even be some mysticism that's out there in the world today. But that is not salvation. I had a meeting with a young man the other day, and this young man is a young man that came out of a Catholic background. And when he was a middle schooler, he was at an FCA event. And at that FCA event, he heard the gospel shared. And at that FCA event, he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. But he went home to his parents, and he shared with his parents about how he'd given his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And his parents immediately were like, well, you didn't have to do that. You've always been a believer. You were born into the church, like we had you baptized as a child. And it confused him, as you can imagine. And so then he continued to go to this FCA stuff. He was an athlete. He continued to go to FCA, and he continued to hear the gospel. And lo and behold, when he was in high school, uh, he'd actually reached a point where his FCA huddle leader had allowed him to begin to lead some small groups from an FCA standpoint uh, at his school. And, uh, and so I, I asked this young man, I said, well, well, what happened in high school? What changed? And he said, well, he said, and, and you got to understand, this has been about a two-month process for me walking through this young man because it started with this point of, well, I'm pretty sure I'm a believer because I do trust in only Jesus for my salvation. But when I go back, my past of all of that journey has been so muddled. And because of the Catholic background and all this kind of stuff, he was just really confused, right? And so anyways, he said as he got into high school, he began to dig deeper into God's word through this FCA stuff that he was doing. And he began to really see the gospel and salvation for what it was. And he began to understand a little bit more about what it was that he had done when he was a middle schooler. And then he came off to the University of Georgia. Now again, this guy was so confused when he got to the University of Georgia that his parents were like, you need to go to the Catholic Center. And he was like, well, I don't know if I agree with what's going on at the Catholic Center. So this man was going to Mass at the Catholic Center. Uh, when he was a freshman, he was going to a freshly small group. And then he was also coming to, uh, at the beginning of the semester, and he was also coming to our worship at UGA at the BCM. And so you talk about all over the board, doctrinally, good gracious. Right? At Wesley, he's learning how to speak prophecy over people. I'm just being honest with you, right? All right? At the Catholic Center, well, they're doing whatever they do. And then he's coming to us, and we're saying, hey, it's only founded in God's Word and in the Scripture. I mean, this guy's all over the place. And so I sat down about two months ago with him at lunch, and I began to ask him. I said, well, tell me exactly what it is you believe about all this stuff. And he started laying out all these differences he had with what his parents had taught him, right? And then he started laying out all these things that he believed about Scripture. And I was like, dude, what I can tell you is you're not Catholic anymore, right? This was the beginning. This is where I realized he actually knew Christ. I said, I, can't I don't know what you are, but I promise you you're not Catholic anymore. Because if you go right now to the Catholic Center and you tell them all of that stuff that you think that you believe now, like, they're going to have a major issue with that. And uh, so we began to work through this process over the last two months. And finally, uh, one of my campus missionaries is, also came out of a Catholic background. So I sat down with her and I said, look, I know he's a guy, I know I've been meeting with him, but I need you to sit in on the next meeting I have. And so I saw him in the building, 
And boy, it had been an awful morning. I dealt with this crazy dude that came in our building and sort of verbally accosted some students and myself as well. I mean, I literally had like the campus police up there. This guy was, you know, it, it was not a good situation. And uh, then I walk right out of that to I'm literally about to walk into another meeting and I find out about a crisis that's going on in two of our students' lives uh, where they bo- had both been involved in some pretty, pretty heavy sin stuff. And so I'm dealing with that. And then I walk out of that, that room. Uh, and, uh, and then I walk out into the building and I see this young man and I'm like, whew, all right, Jack, come with me right now. We're going to talk. I got to have something positive going on in my life right now. And so I bring him in my office and I go to Katie. I said, Katie, I need you to come in here. Jack's chatting with me. He's still confused. It's two months later. I said, at this point, I'm more confused, I think, than he is. Um, and so, I mean, I even pulled out the old Adrian Rogers thing. Adrian Rogers used to say that salvation is like Texas. And like, you know that you're in Texas when you're in Texas. You might have drove there, and if you did, you saw the sign on the side of the road, and you might have flew, flew there. But when you get there, you know you're in Texas. Does that make sense? Like, I'm even trying to pull this stuff out. I'm pulling every trick out of the bag I can to try to help this kid understand what he's been going through since literally like eighth grade. And, uh, and so Katie sits down with me, and Katie begins to share with him her story, which was very similar. She came to know Christ in high school, not in eighth grade. And uh, she also then was confused for about three or four years until she got to her campus ministry at Georgia Southern. And she had a campus minister look at her at Georgia Southern, actually the guy that I originally went to work with at UGA, Jerry Johnson. Jerry looked at her and said, Katie, you just told me the gospel and you just told me when you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't really know what you're confused about. And so Katie begins to share with this guy her story. And, uh, and, I, and I finally stopped him because he, he responded and I said, hey, I said, Jack, here's what, here's what I want to ask you for a second. I said, do you understand the difference between you pursuing Christ and Christ having pursued after you? He said, what do you mean, Tommy? And I said, as we've talked over the last two months, I've noticed something's taken place in those conversations where you begin to have a better understanding of the fact. And I said, I don't know if you know how to articulate it or not. I said, but you begin to have a better understanding of the fact that you thought what was been happening over these last few, because he would use phrases like this. I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to uh, dig deeper into my faith. I just wanted to understand my faith more. I wanted to, to I wanted to have, he even one point said, I, you know, I felt like I just needed to have a stronger faith in my faith. I was like, what in the world does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I've sat here and I've listened to you over these two months, Chad, as we've gotten together. And I said, what I've come to realize is this, is that you've been extremely passionate about pursuing God. Extremely passionate about pursuing God. You've been extremely passionate about getting along with God on a daily basis. You've been extremely passionate about having a, 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 a time of prayer. You've been extremely passionate about getting involved in a local church. He's now involved in one of our local churches. I said you've been extremely passionate about even leaving the, the, the Catholic Center and, and, and figuring out what it was you believed and actually going and attending worship in those settings. I said you've been extremely passionate about making sure that you were part of a small group. I said you've been extremely passionate about all that. And I said, but you've got to understand somewhere along the way that there's a difference in you being passionate about pursuing after God and what you've described to me took place when you were in middle school and then even into high school where you were sitting in middle school in a service where you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and it convicted your heart and in that convicting of your heart you placed your faith and trust in Him at the level that you could understand in that moment in time. I said, what did you understand in that moment in time? 
And he said, I understood that I needed Jesus. And I said, Jack, do you realize that that's really all you needed to understand in that moment? See, what we've done in our world, in Christendom across the board, as you look back throughout history, is we've gotten more and more religious. We've gotten more and more passionate and more and more zealous in a lot of ways about going after and chasing after God. But the problem is, is that's not what salvation is. It's not. And boy, you want to confuse a bunch of next-gen kids right now? Use this phrase, do you want to follow Jesus? Boy, that'll confuse them in a heartbeat. Because I'll tell you, at the University of Georgia, we got a lot of college students who are desiring to follow Jesus, who are very zealous and passionate about following Jesus. But yet they don't understand what the gospel and salvation really is. The Jews are very zealous and passionate about following God. They were very zealous and passionate, but yet it was simply religion. Salvation is not passion. Salvation is also not piety. Check out verse 3. Verse 3 says this, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. I want you to see that again. Not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. The Jews, Paul said, were seeking to establish their own righteousness. And in that, there was no submission or subjection to God. These were people that were very religious, they were very passionate, and they were very pious. These were the folks that if you would have seen them doing what they did from a religious standpoint, you'd have said they were pretty good about it. Right? They had all the laws, they had all the boxes checked. In today's world, they'd have got dressed up real nice and they'd have shown up to church every single Sunday morning, every single Wednesday night, and in some churches, every single Sunday night as well, right? They'd have, they'd have made sure they brought the side dish to the, to the, to the covered lunch. I got to preach here one time when y'all got one of those. Come on now. But, but I'm being serious, right? Like they, They'd have done that. They'd have been in the Sunday school class. They'd have done everything that the world would have viewed as right. But salvation is not passion, it's not piety. And then third, I want you to realize this, salvation is not powered by man. Notice what it says in verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. I want you to notice here, if you will, somewhere along the line, the Jews had gotten tripped up over even Moses' writings about what it took to be righteous. And, and I love James' writings because James references this idea of righteousness. And some people say that Paul and James kind of collide when it comes to this idea of, of, of righteousness by faith. But in reality, even when James writes about Moses uh, being, uh, or when James writes about, I'm sorry, Abraham uh, being righteous by, by, by his works, if you look then at actually what James is referencing in Scripture, you go back to the Old Testament and you realize that, James, or that Abraham was actually accounted righteous before he ever did anything just because he simply believed, right? And so here uh, we have uh, it talking about Moses and the law, and, and, and that this righteousness is based on the law. And somewhere along the way, the Jews had gotten tripped up by this idea. And Paul references this in the previous chapters. 
that, that the gospel had become a stumbling block to them, right? Because they had gotten tripped up over this fact that there was stuff they had to do. They had looked back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and they looked back to Moses and the law. They looked back to all these individuals in the Old Testament and they had said, well, look, we got to do all this stuff. We got to do this. And they had gotten tripped up by the fact that salvation nowhere along the way is powered by man. And in verse 6 and verse 7, we really see that because what we find is, is that Paul is telling us that salvation does not require or allow heroes to bring God down from heaven or up from Hades. Right? And you think about it. In Scripture, when man tried to do whatever they could to reach God, it failed. Y'all remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Right? But guys, do you realize that we live in a world today where even within some of our churches, it is taught and understood that if you're passionate enough, if you're pious enough and religious enough, and if you work hard enough and you do enough, that you're going to be okay. That's not salvation. That's not why we celebrate Easter. That's not what the cross and the grave and the empty tomb is about. I love verse 8. Verse 8 says, but what does it say? So here's Paul. And Paul has said, man, here's all the ways the Jews have got it wrong. Here's all the way that the nation of Israel has gotten it wrong. And then he says, but what does it say? And it says, the word is near to your heart and near to your mouth. And I want you to see this morning that the gospel and salvation is these four things. Number one, it is humility. It is humility. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord. If you confess Jesus as Lord. Lordship requires humility. It requires placing yourself in a position of servanthood it is the opposite of piety from uh, not being subject and submissive it goes to being subject and submission humility is required to recognize our need for Christ and it is required to place Christ in his right standing in our life part of the reason that so many people struggle with coming to a place of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is because they can't humble themselves enough to realize either A, they can't figure it out, B, they haven't figured it out, C, they can't do enough on their own, or D, they don't want to give up that which they control. It's a pride issue, right? And if you don't have humility, you cannot have salvation. Because you think about it. Like with a little kid, one of the first things you ask them when they say, hey, I want to know Christ as Lord and Savior is, do you know what sin is, right? Because we got to know what we're being saved from, don't we? Right? The Holy Spirit has to convict our hearts, right? And the convicting of our hearts should break our hearts and place us in this position of humility where we recognize, I need Jesus. Like when Jack told me, when I asked him, what is it that you understood that moment when you were in middle school and you were at the FCA event and you heard the gospel? He said, all I really understood was that I needed Jesus. It's what he understood. Now, i got to be honest with you. If you were to bring Jack in here right now and begin to ask Jack 
about his story. He would say some things that you would go, man, that is unbelievable and amazing. And then he would say other things and you'd be like, I'm so confused right now. We're working through that. Okay? He finally said the other day to me, this was before he goes, he goes, Tommy, I think one of my issues is I know what I believe. I know that Jesus is the only way to salvation. I know it's not plus any of this other stuff that the church taught. He's like, I know I put my faith in Jesus. He was like, sometimes I just have a hard time saying answers to the questions I get asked when people ask me about my walk with Christ or about me following Jesus because I got all this stuff I learned my entire life in the Catholic Church. He's like, I'll say stuff and I'll even say it and then I'll catch myself and be like, I don't think that sounds right. And I'm like, no, it's no, what you just said was a heresy. You didn't mean for it to be, but like, we'll, we'll get that cleaned up. But what he realized was his need for Jesus. That's humility. That's humility. The gospel salvation is not only humility, but I want you to see this. It's heartfelt. It's heartfelt. The second part of verse 9 says this. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Notice this. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now to understand what we see when we see this idea of it being heartfelt here, we've got to remove ourselves from the year 2022, right? Because when we talk about the heart, we think about Valentine's Day, we think about all the emotional stuff, all of that good stuff, right? And so if we're not careful, we'll, we'll read scripture and we'll read it within the understanding and the language and the, the dialect that we use today. And, and so what happens is, is, is we go, oh man, okay, the heart, that's symbolic of the emotions. And so you just got to really, really believe and, and, and you just got to, you know, really have this emotional response to Jesus and so forth. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen sometimes, but what I am saying is this, is that what we need to recognize here is that when we talk about the heart, we're talking about not the center of emotion, but the center of our mind and our will. Right? The center of our mind and of our will. So what that means is this, is if you look at verse 9 and verse 10, when we say that salvation requires humility and that salvation is heartfelt, notice what it says. It says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And then check this out. That if you can... Look at that. That is a good sound man right there. Y'all give him a round of applause. If you're on the Facebook world out there, can you hear me? Give me a yes. I'm just kidding. All right. Belief requires you to do something, doesn't it? I mean, we've all seen the analogies, right? I, I believe the chair is going to hold me up. I'm going to go sit in the chair, right? Y'all get what I'm saying, right? 
I believe the airplane is going to do what it's supposed to do, so I'm going to chill out. I don't know. I tell you what, whew, I've always believed in those airplanes. I've had to fly a lot, but good gracious, my last flight back from Guatemala, I don't know if I believe so much anymore the way we landed. <laughs> whew. I had, I had a guy that I talked with one time, and he was in the Navy and uh, before he became a teacher, and he said you can always tell from the landing whether the, the pilot was in the Air Force or the Navy. Because if they're in the Air Force, it's a nice, smooth, because they, they're used to those long runways. If, it's in the, if the guy was in the Navy, you ever had those where you're coming in and all of a sudden it's like, boom, boom, <laughs> They used to land on them ships. That man was in the Navy a long time, apparently. <laughs> but, you know, once you get on the airplane, there's nothing you can really do about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but faith, there, there's this, it's, it's. Faith and belief, when it becomes heartfelt, it's, it's being willing to take a, a posture towards Jesus, right? And so we see that the gospel and salvation is humility, it's heartfelt. But not only does heartfelt mean there's belief, but it also means there's a desire. So I'm not saying we don't use the term, do you want to follow Jesus? I think that's an important term to use. You just got to be able to define it for people. And here, what that means is this, is that it says a, a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation, and, and so um, it, we, we also read up here that the, 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 for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by the righteousness. So in other words, we're not saying that salvation doesn't result in doing something. Uh, it, it does. It, and it's because it, it, God knows our heart. He knows our desires. Right? So that person that says, well, well, I got saved, but I'm still struggling with that area of sin in my life. Well, I would say to that person, what's your heart and what's your desire? Right? Because if you understand your need for Jesus Christ and your brokenness and your sinfulness, and you truly believe that he is who he said he is and did what he said he did, and you truly desire within your heart, within the center of your mind, within the center of your will, your will has changed to go in the direction towards Jesus instead of away from Jesus, I would say you're probably in a pretty good place. And then ultimately with that desire comes full commitment. But not only is the gospel not passion, piety, empowered by man, but it is humility and heartfelt. But I want you to see this morning, it is also heaven sent. I want you to see this morning that it is heaven sent. Verse 4 says, ultimately this. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Who is the end of it? Christ is the completion of it. Christ is the culmination of it for righteousness. In verse 9 it says, God raised him from the dead. We must understand that salvation is from God and from God alone. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. It is an act of God's grace and mercy. That is why the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, not works. If it was works, we could boast about it, right? That is the opposite of it being man-powered. Salvation is nothing we have done. It is only what Christ has done. And I am glad about that because it is because it is heaven sent that there is security in our salvation. Right? It is because it is heaven sent that there is security in our salvation. Our salvation is wrapped up in the fact that the reason we celebrate this week is because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus did. So it is humility. It is heartfelt. It is heaven sent. And then I want you to see finally this morning, salvation is for all of humanity. Verse 11 through verse 13 says, For Scripture says, 
Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice those words that are used there. In verse 11 it says whoever. In verse 12 it says no distinction and Lord over all. And in verse 13 it says whoever. Now I understand you can turn back to chapter 9 of Romans and we can have a discussion about what whoever means versus what chosen and elect and all that stuff means. But that's not the point this morning. That'd take too long. Alright? What I am telling you is this. It's okay. It's a Bible app. Alright? I know that sound. I used to, uh, I was reading through the Bible chronologically. I was using my Bible app to do so. And uh, I would go, this was when I was going to like lift weights in a gym, not going to do this circuit stuff I do with my wife now. And uh, so I would put my earbuds in and I would listen. That's how I knew that sound because I would, I would listen. That was, I'm lifting weights while listening to the scripture. Like, so I know all those folks thought, this man's not even paying attention to me. He's like jamming out. And I was like, nope. It's that computerized voice speaking to me from Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> That'll get you pumped, I promise you. But anyways, where were we? Yes, for all of humanity. You know what that means? That means that, listen, if someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and they respond in faith, they're a whoever. They're a whoever. So here's the question. The question is this. Is there anybody the gospel isn't for? The answer is no. The answer is no. I believe that so much, I literally have ink on my arm right here that says whoever will. I do. Some of you are like, that man's never preaching here ever again. But I do. I didn't want there to be any question of me ever forgetting that. <laughs> and that that's my calling on my life. God's calling on my life is to make sure that everyone understands that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it does require a few things. It requires understanding that there must be humility. That you recognize your sinfulness, you recognize your brokenness, and that you need Jesus. It requires understanding that it, there must be a belief and a desire to follow Jesus Christ and a full commitment made. It requires understanding that salvation is nothing about man, but is all about heaven. It's all about Christ. It's all about what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then, for some of you in here today, it may require you recognizing that you are that whoever. If you're sitting here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe you've tried it doing the religious thing, maybe you've tried it because you grew up in church, maybe you tried it because you just were like, man, I can do enough or whatever, and if you've never had a clear understanding of the fact that none of that is good enough, maybe you've been passionate about following Jesus, maybe you were one of those folks that were a part of a ministry somewhere that said what we're going to do is we're going to start discipling you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing but they did it without ever getting you to a place of recognizing you needed to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior in this free gift of salvation. Because there's a lot of folks that do that out there. All right? If that's the case, 
What I'm here to tell you today is this, is that Jesus Christ died for you. It's why we celebrate what we celebrate over this next week. And that he rose three days later so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And all he requires of you is to recognize your sin and your need for him and to put your faith and trust in him today. If we wanted to do a sermon on the cross today, I think the fitting one would be to look at the thief on the cross probably. Because if you look at Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through verse 43, what you find there is a man who was as humble as he could possibly be. As the one thief basically yelled at Jesus, right? But yet he recognized his plight. He recognized his hopelessness. And what a heartfelt answer more could you give of belief than to say, would you remember me today in your kingdom? And it was Jesus, not the man that did anything, it was Jesus that looked at him and gave him salvation. And I got to be honest with you, if the gospel is enough for the thief on the cross, who many historians and theologians say was likely a terrorist, who literally in his most vulnerable, literal, last moments of life, is just humble and heartfelt and recognizes there's nothing he can do and it's all based on Jesus, then don't you think the gospel is good enough to save you as well? So if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I said the Bible tells us we're all sinners. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for us. He rose three days later. And that his death and his bloodshed covers our sin. And that his resurrection gives us hope to overcome death ourselves. And if you understand that and you believe that today... And you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and accept Christ. But before I do that, I want you, if you're a believer, to listen to me today. And I want you to hear me. For us, we're going to celebrate Easter over this next week. Right? Folks do stuff on Thursday. Folks do stuff on Friday. Folks do stuff on... Saturday, Sunday, all right, we, you got all this schedule laid out. But you know, the reality of it is this. Is that if we recognize what salvation is in our life, and that it is not anything about piety, it is not anything about our own passions, it is not anything about our own power, then how much more should it drive us to be like Paul was in verse 1, where it breaks our heart over those who are lost? Let this Easter not be just a celebration of this week. But let this Easter be a reminder of the gospel and what salvation is in your life if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And let that be a motivator for you to live out your life on a day-to-day -day basis to leverage your life for the gospel. And see the difference that God will make in the lives of those around you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.
If you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. You can call out to Christ and you can tell him something like this in your own words. It's about it being heartfelt, remember? So it's, it's not the words, it's not magical, but it's, it's, it's you communicating what's in your heart. If you want to know Christ as Lord and Savior, you've never put your faith in him, why don't you call out to him now and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. In my humility, I know I'm broken. Jesus, I believe wholeheartedly that you lived a perfect life and that you died for me and that you rose three days later. So Jesus, today, I'm asking you to be my Lord, to forgive me of my sins and to save me. Lord, I commit my life to live for you. I want to follow you. But I know that there is nothing in me good enough for salvation. So I thank you for saving me. Now I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, if you just pray and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and to save you, I want you to come and share that with me. I'll be right here at the front. If you need to do business with God in some other way, I want you to do it. But I want this to be a time for us to respond to his word. And to respond in a way in which we celebrate in many ways, who He is and what He's done for us through the gospel and through an opportunity for salvation. Lord, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your Word. We ask You, Lord, just to use this time, Lord, to speak into the hearts and the minds of individuals that are here. Lord, if there's an area of their life that they need to confess and get right with You, I ask You that they'll do that. Lord, if there's an area of their life where, Lord, they've just not really given You total lordship, I ask You that they'll do that. Lord, if there's somebody here that's accepted you as Lord and Savior, I ask you you'll give them the courage to come share that with me today so that we can pray for them and encourage them. Lord, for those of us that are believers in this room, help us to be reminded today that salvation is not about anything that we do, but it is all about the gift that you've given us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Lord, help us to live out our lives in an excitement that only comes from knowing you and for understanding the gospel and our salvation. Help us to share it with those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand together as we sing Room at the Cross and you come as God is calling you.